Welcome to On the Job with Porak, your go-to place for public safety and officer rights, giving you the news you need to know and discussing the issues that matter. Hi, and welcome to another episode of On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak. With me is Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz. Today, we are very honored to have a very special guest. He's an actor, author, producer, director, screenwriter, and singer. I want to welcome the Mr. William Shatner to our show via Zoom. Very, very happy to be here. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your extremely busy day to talk to us. Like we stated a little bit earlier, it's pretty lighthearted. Very happy to be here. I think um, it's very important for people to know how valuable police work is and how valuable police officers are to our, our living, our culture, our, our cities, our, the country. Uh, police officers are a bulwark. And it's very important for people to remember that. And we appreciate that. And I think that dovetails perfectly into your uh, your TV show back in the 80s, uh, TJ Hooker. How did that come about? Was that something that you got involved early on? The way it works is uh, uh, some creative person goes to uh, a studio or a network and they say, I've got this brilliant idea. Let's do a police show. Oh, my God. Nobody's ever done a police show before. Well, they have some kind of angle on it. And the angle that uh, was going to make a difference, they we thought was that um, they'd get a policeman who was still, uh, you know, getting over reading the Miranda rights and having to come into the new school of uh, police work where the uh, community work is a very large part of what they do. So they contacted me. It seemed like a really good idea of a guy emerging uh, out of what used to be to what is. And so whenever, so every so often we'd carry that theme, but mostly... It was a lot of running and jumping and and uh, getting the bad guy and knocking him down, putting the bracelets on him. But in the process, I spent five years. I went to the academy. I did the academy work. I I did. Uh, I, I was up at that screen the, where they pr- present um, different situations, like domestic situations, and you're in front of a screen and you have to react like a scene in an actor's studio where you're, the a scene takes place in front of you and you have to react to that scene. Really uh, good thinking in terms of practicing what domestic uh, violence can be like. So I learned in a very minor way to be a police policeman vaguely. But what began to happen is that the, the cops around protecting the show uh, would uh, emerge. Uh, we, we would get together and have conversations, started talking a lot. And when we started going downtown on a Friday night to shoot the night scenes, a lot of night scenes, we would travel during the day in Studio City and up in the in the valley on a police car and shoot the out of the door outdoor scenes and, and daylight scenes. But when it got really dramatic, uh, especially uh, every Friday night, we'd we'd go downtown, uh, right down to the rough spots in uh, Los Angeles to film at night, and that's when it became really dramatic, and and I thought. You know, when I was thinking about doing this interview, I thought I would try and paint for you a a freeze, a picture that I have that I carry in my mind uh, all the time when I think or talk about police work. And that is 
over the years with crowds around uh, downtown, something untoward would happen, you know, occasional really bad thing. And the police would be there to break it up or stop it. Or So we were, I was very much aware of an element of danger uh, at midnight downtown Los Angeles. So one night uh, we, we, it was over, the filming was over and I got into a limo. Hollywood actor gets into a limo and leaves downtown Los Angeles. I got into the car and we started to drive and I looked out the window and I saw this picture, a policeman in this attitude, like an attitude of, of action with his hand right close to his pistol and it was under a lamplight, so it was like out of a painting. And a bad guy, sort of in another phrase, like, I'm going to get you and I'm going to get you. And there was a moment of drama that I, as a pretend policeman in a limo, caught a glimpse of for a count of two and then went on. What happened before, what happened after, I have no idea. But the whole idea of police work, the danger of police work, the what police work does, what... the uh, all was encapsulated in that one picture. I've never forgotten it. I've, you know, uh, T.J. Hooker got really uh, good with um, P-38. What's the name of the nightstick? Oh, PR-24. Uh, I said 38. <laughs> That's the progression. The PR, is it PR-24? So PR-24. So we began to do the phenomenal thing. It's like throwing it and tripping people up. But that little handle on the edge of the nightstick made all the difference in the world. So you could use it in a variety of ways. So they taught me to get a little handy with it. And it was great fun. But that picture of that policeman alone under a lamplight, his hand poised over his pistol to protect himself and everybody else against a guy who God knows what was what he was threatening. I don't know. That, that story remains unwritten. But that picture remains in my mind as to what People should know about police work and the danger they're always in and the mental, the, the mindset you have to have as a policeman. Every time I pass a police car, I try and give, you know, a thumbs up. There, people love you. And uh, they're, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> it's a bad time. Well, this time, this, this day and age, I think it's important that uh, our guys hear that and hear the, the positive words of reinforcement. And even that thumbs up, it means a lot to the guys out there. I, I think so, too. And there's a uh, I'm in North, uh, the North Hollywood uh, division. And every Christmas for the last many, many years, I've been where I live for a long, long time. I, I can't imagine anybody living in this area longer than what, where I'm living because I'm I'm of that age. But every Christmas I bring in bagels and pastrami and coleslaw and uh, fish to the North Hollywood station just as a Christmas gift. And I remember vaguely saying it from the Shatners. Uh, but I one day I was doing something like this with policemen and there was a policewoman who got on the thing and said, uh, oh, she was used to work at the North Hollywood station. And I said, well, did you ever eat any of the bagels I brought? And she said, was that you? So nobody knew that for all these years uh, that when the guys went in on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, or there was a meat and fish and get bagels for everybody to celebrate. Now, it's really important, as you point out, uh, Damon, that... Uh, people who should let the policeman know that you know how difficult their work is and the 
cloud that they can get under very quickly. I can tell you uh, on behalf of those officers and any officer in the state or the nation is extremely grateful for the generosity of people like you. I'm from San Diego and uh, we used to get gifts, uh, food sent to our stations too. We were always appreciative of everybody who uh, who did that to us because it just it showed it was a token of kindness uh, and, and it showed that we were somewhat appreciated for the work that we were doing. But there's something else that we forget, we think that policemen are supermen. You know, you're going to go into a a, a dark building uh, with a bad guy in there who, who, who's known to be a killer and the, the the guys go in and you're a human being. My God, you're afraid. You know, it's, it's, it's dark. It's the essence of nightmare. And you're running towards the nightmare like firefighters and all the public service people. Sure, it's a good job and a thing. It's got the thing. But your training and your duty is to run towards, not run away. And, and you're a human being like the guy who's running away. I wish to hell I could run away, but you can't. And there's nothing between you and the bad guy, but uh, some training. And if you're wearing a vest, good. But, uh, you know, when it happens suddenly, you're not wearing a vest. I mean, where I live, there was that big shooting. Anyway, they were dressed in armor and, and, and cops had their 38s and this, these, Two guys had their automatic guns and they dressed in armor, and the and, and the thirty eight bullets would bounce off them, and and there was some bravery, brave stuff that went down. Uh, a rookie saved a uh, an officer down, and I mean it's a very dramatic story, but it contains in that story the courage of these officers who are just we forget that they're just you know when they take off their badge, they're walking out, they got to go to the bathroom. You know, like we do. And it's all, you got to have that compassion. And so when you hear of a case where a guy is shot, and then if you put yourself in that position, you think, well, geez, I, I don't know what I would have done. So it's important to remember that officers of the law are human beings doing a job for which they've been trained, but they're still human beings. Yeah, we... Uh... We thank you for that. Um, just a little bit on on your side. So you, you've been in Hollywood for 60 plus years, mm. um, a very storied and long career. What are some of the things that you've seen over your time, um, good or bad, in a sense of where it was in the 50s to where it is now in, in 2020? Well, you know, uh, you hear the all the time, the stories of the people who've been around a long time in Los Angeles, well, anywhere, I guess, but certainly in the Los Angeles area. God, I should have bought that building, or I, I, I could have got that corner there for nothing years and years ago. Now it's a bank or whatever it is. So there's a the corner on Laurel Canyon and Ventura Boulevard used to be a, a car wash and a gas station, and um, it was kind of a home a home run. I mean, there were a couple of people who would do it. It was kind of run down. It was for sale. So there are all these places that have grown up. When I first came here uh, from New York, I'm I'm from Montreal, Canada. I made my way through Toronto, which is Canada's New York, and then from Toronto and to Stratford there, I I came to New York City. And then, because everything was in New York City, and I worked a lot in New York City, and then uh, everything moved to LA, and me too. So I, I moved to LA and the um, the first thing I saw in the hills of uh, Santa Monica Hills, looking into the valley, were orange groves. 
the Ventura Freeway stopped at the West Valley. It just stopped and became streets. And I, all my life, all my adult life, I've had Doberman pinchers. Uh, and uh, though I didn't breed them, I sought them out. And I'd have one, two, three Doberman pinchers in my, when I, when, when I had left home as a kid and got to be a, a young adult. I always had a dog or two dogs with me. And I had a really beautiful Doberman uh, one time and I went to the Westminster uh, dog show and uh, and he was almost, the judge looked around when the, his class was on and went and looked at me and pointed at the next one. So I came in second, coming in second, it's like, you know, it, there's no, one dog wins and everybody else loses. So I had loved that dog and there had been a magazine, a Time Magazine cover of a Doberman uh, Storm by Rancho Doby. Rancho Doby Storm on the cover of Time Magazine, the great Doberman. And of course, loving Dobermans, that was like the god Doberman. So now I'm driving along the freeway that ends at the West Valley. Now it ends. And I think, well now, how do I, and over on the right-hand side, and, and their buildings are still there after all these years, I see Rancho Doby Storm, Rancho Doby. And I drive in, and the lady, I think her name was Elizabeth, was the head of Rancho Doby, which was the big Doberman kennel of all time. I had accidentally come to the heaven for Doberman picture lovers, where Rancho Doby Storm had been born and bred. And I got my Dobies from her as the years went by, from Elizabeth, I've forgotten her name. But it was like meant to be that I, I just arrived all those years ago in the valley and all this newness was around me and I happed upon this place that I had read about for so long and dreamt about. Fun, huh? Yes, absolutely. Cool. So I was looking at your bio and I noticed that you were awarded the Order of Canada. What yeah. is that and how did you get that? Uh, how did I get that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, most people, I don't know, a lot of people, me included, go into life and there's a feeling of unworthiness. Like, you know, I don't deserve and inculcated by a number of reasons. I suppose when you're a child and your upbringing and you don't feel worthy, you have a feeling of, Oh, I don't deserve this. And I've felt that all my life. And so when you ask me, how did I get that? It goes right into my feeling of not being worthy. And then, yeah, you know, maybe I shouldn't have got, yeah, yeah, how did I get that award? Well, it's the highest civilian award the Canada gives out. And why did I get it? I don't know. And I don't deserve it. <laughs> uh, you well, definitely deserve it. Yeah, you definitely well, deserve it. But, uh, you know, they, they give it out uh, like the president uh, gives out a, the award in America here, the, the Canadian government gives out that award. I like, I like to help people. Fortune has smiled on me for many years, and uh, I won't go into the detail. But in any case, what I believe is your legacy, of anybody's legacy, what you leave behind you when you, after you die, is your good deeds, is your good work. I mean, you have fame and fortune, but that lasts six months, a month, a week, you die and people say, who, what was that again? Why did you get this? Why, what, what was that? And there's no answer. But if you do something good for somebody, that reverberates, it continues. Although nobody knows you're de dealing in uh, being anonymous, 
But if you do something good for somebody and that person is better off because of what you did, then they do something and it reverberates. And if you do a lot of good things, the world is alive with the good things that you've done. And although nobody else knows it, you know it. And somewhere deep inside, it reverberates. That's awesome. So uh, what what's the future hold for, for you? Do you have any new projects you're working on? Anything that you can talk about? Well, I'm talking to you from my home uh, uh, in Los Angeles and uh, cooped up here for the most part, although I have horses uh, about 45 minutes uh, away from here. So I'm able to get in a car and drive out to the stable. I run a horse show called the Hollywood Charity Horse Show. We've um, put on a show. I put I put on a show along with uh, whoever's my assistant. Kathleen Hayes for the last 10 years has been my assistant. So the two of us put on a horse show called the Hollywood Charity Horse Show. And we've had sponsors uh, the last several years, Priceline and uh, the Bank of California. And lately, this one, Garrett and Crane, uh, a patent of Capital 19 Equity uh, 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 Group, uh, Capital 19 Equity Group, have given us money. But particularly this year, they've given, uh, and so every year for the last 30 years, I've run this charity, raised millions of dollars for kids, for veterans, uh, all over uh, Southern uh, California. And this year I've had to cancel the show. Uh, it was supposed to be in June. Then we thought October. So the show's been canceled. And what's happened all over the world, uh, let alone the United States, places that put on shows to raise money for charity, like the Hollywood Charity Horse Show, no longer can do that because of uh, the COVID. So all this charitable money is lacking. Nobody's giving very few people are giving to charity. Those three groups, the, the Priceline, the Bank of California, and uh, Garrett and Crane Patton of uh, Capital 19 Equity Group, have given me money despite the fact we've had to cancel the show. And that's what's really important. I, I hope your people will recognize that even though we can't give the kind of money we gave last year and the years before because of the circumstances. All these charities need to do something. So whatever percentage of money we raise this year as a result of those kind people, uh, we will give out that percentage. So if we raise half the money that we raised last year, we'll give out half the money to these deserving charities. You have the website for your charity? Because I do follow yeah, you on please. Twitter. Uh, thank you very much. So smart of you. Horseshow.org. And we, we'll have our auction this year. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, I've kept in touch with a lot of interesting people. And, and what I ask of them is to send me something interesting we can auction off. So there's not the usual, I got a football from and a helmet from. There's a lot of interesting stuff that would be a curious interest in your home. And go to horseshow.org, look at the stuff, bid on it. Every penny that is given to us, every penny goes to help people. Nobody gets paid in this in this auction that I run. That's awesome. I'm gonna close it up with one last question. I do follow you on Twitter and you are, uh, you're super active to responding to a lot of people. You, uh, well, you have some fortitude there with some of the people that comment. Well, you know, I, I mix it up because it's interesting why be bland. But in the end, what it really is, is keeping in touch with all these people who might help me help people. Definitely. And definitely go to horseshow.org. There's some fantastic uh, one-off items on there uh, that he's offering. And um, like Bill said, 
you know, when you have a charity and a hundred percent of the proceeds are going to the charity, you can't go wrong with an organization like that because some of these charity organizations, unfortunately, uh, don't do that. So I really appreciate you doing that. And you should look into that because there was one charity here that I was going to uh, donate money to. And uh, I saw that the people running the charity got a huge amount of salaries out of it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to. So uh, the police action leagues are uh, big time for a charitable dollar. Uh, we do that with a uh, big one in uh, downtown. Excellent. Uh, well, thanks again, uh, Bill, for being on our show. I really appreciate it. Uh, super huge fan. Um, I literally watch your show at five o'clock every night here in Sacramento. That's uh, great. I love Star Trek, uh, huge Trekkie fan. And, uh, and uh, the, the new show is uh, The Unexplained on, on the History Channel, uh, yeah. second season coming up. Absolutely. So make sure you uh, dial into the History Channel to watch uh, his new show, Unexplained. And the Blues album. Don't forget the Blues album. Oh, that's right. I, uh, Shatner, the Blues. Shatner, the Blues. And I think you're up for an award on that one, too, right? Uh, number one, the Blues album at the moment on, on the Billboard. Uh, so it's quite, quite an honor. I don't know. Well, what I don't deserve the award. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, you definitely do. You're you're a great person. Um, it, it clearly shows in uh, who you are as a person and the fact of uh, all the charitable organizations you're involved in, uh, what you've given back to people through your career, um, your acting, um, all of that is, is, is just, it's tremendous for all of us out here in the United States and Canada and the world. And we appreciate folks like you because you don't see a lot of people in your position being as philanthropic uh, as you are. You really do give back and you live by that. And I think that's a testament of who you are. And that's why you do win those awards because uh, you are so generous of your time. Uh, you're generous of your finances and your talents. I think that's a huge legacy that you're leaving behind outside of your phenomenal career. All the things that I read off in the beginning. I mean, that's amazing. All the stuff that you've done. Thank you, Brian. A pleasure to be with you all. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of On the Job with Porak and Mr. William Shatner. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your ideas for upcoming episodes. Join us on all our social media platforms and be sure to tag us with your suggestions. Go to porak.org to learn more about California's largest law enforcement organization representing over 77,000 public safety members. Make sure to check out and share our monthly podcasts and past episodes on porak.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and wherever available. Lastly, we'd like to say thank you to all our PORAC members and our nation's law enforcement. Be safe and have a great day. That's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time as we discuss the issues that matter. 